Hello and welcome to Eldritch Girl Weird Gothic Stuff and Nonsense with me, C.M. Rosens. We're going to be continuing the serialisation of my first published novel, The Crows. Content warnings are to follow. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmill. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. You can buy the books either direct from me from my Kofi shop uh, or you can buy them from any ebook online retailer and the paperback currently from Amazon only. If you do want to buy me a coffee instead of buying the book, you can do that via my Kofi, which is www.kofi.com, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens. Sit back, relax and enjoy the podcast. This chapter is a longer one as well, but I couldn't find a good place to cut it so that there would be more or less equal parts. So I'm sorry that this one's much longer than all of the others. Um, but the content warnings for this one are um, accidental amputation, uh, car crash, cannibalism and animal abuse. Chapter 12, Haunted by the Past, in which Carrie gets a visitor. 3rd of May. There was no such thing as central heating in the crows, but that didn't matter, even though it was on the chilly side for the start of May. The kitchen was the warmest room in the house. The evening was dying quickly, a sea mist rolling in from the coast and already creeping up the lanes, and the kitchen with its single naked bulb felt in need of cheering up. Something wasn't quite right. Carrie was used to the house having a warm, friendly atmosphere, but after the seance the house seemed tense and troubled. Fairwood, she asked, keeping her voice level. You're right behind me, aren't you? Carrie Fairwood unfolded herself from the too small chair, causing it to tilt and almost topple. Today it was the same size as Jack had been, and for such a big avatar, so square and solid, it moved quietly. Moments of clumsiness reminded her that it was not used to having limbs. Even with that disquieting thought, Carrie couldn't help a quick smirk. It was a little endearing. I made the well part with three of these, the avatar said, setting out three antique snuff boxes on the table. Its eyes flashed with binary code. Charles II, Restoration Age pieces, those were good times. One of these sold at auction for a thousand last month. Carrie stared. Seriously? That's, that's amazing. I'd ask how, but do you know what? Never mind. What do I have to do? Thanks for the broadband, Fairwood said, answering that for her. You need to get them valued. I can arrange that. I'd have to be in, though, or go somewhere. There's a place in town. Some of me ended up there intermittently. They are very careful, very considerate. Blackberry antiques. Carrie nodded, a flush of hope glowing through her. I wonder if I could get anything for the music box while we're at it. Something cold snaked across Carrie's back, a light breath frosted with fury. She spun around, but there was nothing there. The kitchen was pregnant with an alien tension. Okay, what's wrong? Why do things feel different here? She watched the avatar get a clean mug out of the cupboard for her, deliberately dragging out the silence. Things are bound to be different when I've never manifested before, Fairwood said after thoughtful consideration. I can't get my head around that, Carrie admitted. It was insane. Maybe she had lost her grip on reality somewhere along the line, with all the stress, and this was all a dream world she had constructed for herself, a parallel world of supernatural dangers to make the real world problems fade away. 
The doorbell rang. Carrie frowned. Hold that thought, I'll deal with this in a minute. Ghosts she could handle, she told herself. It was the living people who were the problem. The house grew still. Fairwood sank through the floor as Carrie hurried down the passage to the reception hall, not bothering to pick up her keys. The door unlocked for her before she reached it. Hi! Her greeting died a strangled death. Phil posed on her porch in an attitude of false diffidence, statuesque as Michelangelo's David but better dressed, all sharp suit and chiselled cheekbones, chin and nose napped to flinty perfection. Chestnut curls gelled into an obedient halo. Carrie couldn't move, muscles cemented in place. Fairwood felt her panic. She sensed the house allowing its more aggressive features to take charge. Dropped in on the cousins in Piddingdean, Phil said, giving her a cold grin. Thought I'd stop by on my way back since I missed you yesterday and you're not answering my calls. It's a beautiful house, he sneered. Good to see you spent our cash wisely. Carrie balled her fist at her side with a gut punch of hatred. My cash. Phil frowned. Oh, right. Must be some mistake there, Carrie, because I thought the joint savings account was ours. It's got both our names on it. The savings account? Shit. I was the only one putting anything into it, Carrie pointed out, wrapping an arm over her stomach. And don't think you're getting the deposit back on the flat because that's gone. I don't have it. And you trashed the place out of out of sheer spite, Phil, and you kicked a hole in the bathroom door. There is no way you're getting a penny. A surge of hot fury flooded her from the floor upwards, the anthracite-hard anger of the old coal cellar ripping through her blood. The house hissed around her in multitudinous layers of white noise. Not mine. Not mine. Not his. Phil's eyes narrowed, trying to catch the whispers on the edge of hearing. What's that noise? Carrie trembled. Drafts. Her voice was cold as the crypt. You're wasting your time. I don't owe you a damn thing. I can prove the money I took out of that account was mine. I took photos of the flat and this house is mine. Entirely mine. It's nothing to do with you. She gripped the edge of the door. Phil's face darkened in a crimson flush. Fairwood glowered down at the intruder on its porch, the upper windows gleaming with malevolence. Come on, Carrie, he said, toned deceptively like. Just dropping by to see if we can sort stuff out, that's all. I need the cash, and looks like you're doing all right now. Appearances can be deceiving, but you'd know all about that. What do you need the cash for? Carrie could guess, but she wanted him to admit it. Who do you owe this time? She shook her head. Oh, let me guess, your cousin wouldn't lend you any either. Tom doesn't even like you, does he? Phil took a menacing step forwards, prompting a suck of air out of the door, gusting cold around his ankles. Keep out! He stopped, broad brow furrowed with confusion, as if encountering resistance. Carrie let go of the door, Fairwood didn't need her to hold it, and folded her arms in the safety of her hall. You can't intimidate me into giving you cash I don't have, and you're not entitled to. He lunged forwards and the front door swung violently shut on his hand. There was a crunch of bone and a roar of pain and the top of Phil's middle finger dropped onto the tiles. Carrie stared open-mouthed as the wood drank up the blood and the small puddle on the tiles seeped into the grouting. Phil was shouting and swearing, kicking at the door. Oh my God! Carrie burst out laughing. She couldn't help it. Fucking bitch! Phil, the real Phil, the man behind the classically handsome veneer, was screaming through the wood. It locked itself, the the bolts sliding across. 
Carrie forced herself to breathe. Fairwood, let, let's get rid of him, she managed, and felt the house manifest its enormous Sir Jack-shaped persona through the walls. She tipped forwards as the manifestation formed through the pillars of the porch, opening her eyes as the cool air licked her face, looking down on a purple-veined Philip Hoskins, gripping his bleeding hand. Carrie cleared her throat, brick dust dry. Phil turned his head, the swearing drying up as his finger spurted. Carrie saw the square, stocky hulk of the scarred figure reflected in Phil's eyes. She thought she could see her own face in Fairwood's grey irises, a tiny smudge trapped behind the stair. Fairwood gripped Phil by the collar and dragged him wordlessly down the steps. Phil kicked and struggled, his heels leaving twisted troughs in the gravel, but Fairwood marched down the drive with relentless solidity, towing its bleeding burden towards the gates. The blue car was parked up outside, blocking the entrance. After they split up, Carrie had seen it everywhere, driving too slowly along her route to work, parked up by the train station when she went to stay with her dad, cruising around the, the local supermarket car parks. The sight of it was a cold pinch in her stomach. Fairwood wrenched Phil through the gates in a brutal underarm swing, tossing him into the road like a rubbish sack. The gates clanged on his departure, and Fairwood melted through the stones, running like a grey river back to the porch, where it dissipated into the pillars and steps, pouring back through the walls. Carrie gasped, rocking back on her heels. She was in the hall, still staring at Phil's bloodless fingertips snapped off at the top knuckle joint. She stared at it for a moment, gathering her scattered thoughts. Phil wasn't going to be back, not now, she was almost sure. He'd think the scarred giant was lurking somewhere. He wouldn't be able to believe a man stepped out of stone. Or maybe he'd sell his story to some wretched little rag and she'd have ghost hunters turning up and camping on her doorstep. Or he'd call the police. That chilled her. She stood rooted to the tiles, knotting her hands together as the knuckle oozed. Had he even left? She didn't dare look outside. Yes, he's gone, Fairwood reassured her. But Carrie wasn't convinced. He might come back. How do you get rid of a finger? She asked the house finally. What if he does call the police, does me for assault? They won't find any blood. Carrie wasn't so sure. I'll get the bleach. She returned with kitchen towel and a box of cleaning supplies, wrapping up the finger and scrubbing at the door on the floor tiles until her thin latex gloves were wrinkled with sweat and slippery on her hands. The finger sat on the hall table, packaged and oozing a little into the kitchen towel. I don't want to bury it or bin it, Carrie thought out loud, imagining her garden churned to mud by tramping boots and police tape. She wasn't sure how much of this was rational and how much was her anxiety throwing her into paranoia. Who was going to believe that a scarred giant had melted out of the stone and thrown him out? No one, that's who. But his finger, he could say she did it on purpose, get her arrested, take her away from the house. The obvious solution presented itself, slithering into her mind as she stared at the paper. I did say I'd go over, she muttered. Upstairs, a door slammed. Carrie knew instinctively that it wasn't Fairwood. She looked at the floor, the bleach and the finger, then back up to the staircase. Right, can I be bothered to see what this is about? Her voice quavered, spoiling the bravado. It's just a door, right? No, probably not just a door, probably a ghost I released from a new music box. She pursed her lips, closing her eyes. In the relative safety of her own head, she counted down from ten, the cleaning products a reassuring weight in her hand. 
Okay, she took three steadying breaths, deep and slow, from her diaphragm, a tried and trusted technique. I'll come up there and get changed. And if anyone wants to talk to me about any of this, she gestured the hall, or what happened in the 50s, that's fine. We can do that. Putting the finger in the cleaning box for the time being, she rubbed her hands on her thighs and steeled herself. Okay, coming up now. Carrie walked slowly around the empty rooms, treading the sanded floorboards with care. She preferred the rooms without furniture, even though they had been robbed of their functionality. They were blank canvases, the house stripped to its bare bones, waiting for something to fill the space and, in the meantime, the pure essence of what a house should be. He's gone, she announced into an empty bedroom. If there's a ghost in here, I'm alone again now. It's just us. She paused. I'm going out in a minute, so if you've got a message for me, now's the time. There was silence. Carrie stroked the vintage wallpaper, head cocked for the slightest sound. The little blue flowers were warm and smooth under her hand. She thought she heard a creaking in the corridor, a gentle leading series of steps. But when she came out to look, there was no one there. She crossed into her own room, the bare boards creaking under her weight, the house settling, and now full of familiar sounds as the wood settled. She changed into warmer clothes, more suited to trudging through the chase, something she wouldn't mind getting slime or animal guts all over. Bramble Cottage seemed like that kind of place, even if the inside was neat and tidy. She was in that much of a rush, she barely checked the mirror properly. Something flickered behind her reflection, a vague shape in white. Slowly, the hairs on the back of her neck standing on end, she turned back to check. Directly behind her, reflected in the glass, she saw the pale shape of a child's legs clearly visible between her own. Carrie jumped and spun around with a sharp gasp. There was no one there. The prickles washed over her, crawling over her skin like flies. She swallowed. There was a presence in the room with her, a malevolent, frustrated, cold presence, nothing like the house. It was close, so close she felt its frosty touch chilling the room. She spun around to face the mirror and came face to face with a pair of dead whirlpool eyes. With a hoarse scream, Carrie dropped her clothes and punched out, her fist connected with nothing, but the featureless face, blank and paper white, evaporated without a sound. Carrie took a shaking step backwards, straight into Fairwood's avatar. She lurched forwards again immediately with a frightened yelp. It held up its hands to stop her from lashing out at it as well. I don't think she can hurt you. She pointed. I saw in the mirror. Oh God, look at that. Across the glass, in her only tube of lipstick, sticky pink letters had appeared. Kill him. Fairwood patted her carefully on the shoulder. It'll come off. I'm not bothered about that. Carrie swooped down to grab a top and force it on. Shit. She shook her head, heart fluttering. Kill who? She ran her hands over her sides, rubbing her palms into the material, trying to cleanse them of the fact she had nearly punched a vengeful spirit in the face. That cold, dead face. She shuddered. We might have a problem, Fairwood admitted. But if she wanted to occupy your form, you'd be vomiting on a 360 rotation by now. It's had all this time to get into your head. Carrie frowned at the exorcist reference. Really? A head spinning round projectile vomit? All that happens, does it? Fairwood avoided the question. It depends. Depends on what? 
how badly it wants to break your neck. He leaned over and checked the mirror again. It's still watching us. Oh, God. Carrie dropped her voice, eyes wide and staring. Her hands bored into white-knuckled fists at her side. Where? Where is it? Fairwood jerked its head at the doorway. Carrie turned, but she couldn't see anyone standing there. I need to get out of here, she whispered, nearly crying. She didn't care if bursting into tears at the sight of a ghost was pathetic. Little faceless kids with vortexes in their eye sockets freaked her out, apparently. Fairwood stared at her in horror. Out? You mean, you want to leave? Carrie was already out of the door. I, I'm going to Bramble Cottage. She was halfway down the corridor when she looked up and saw, reflected behind them in the mirror at the end of the corridor, a small pale figure standing some way back. The eyes stared, and it lifted a pink-stained finger. Carrie yelped and tried to sprint down the stairs, but Fairwood stepped out of the staircase and locked her in place with arms like steel bolts. Carrie, slow down, you'll fall. But she didn't fall. She wriggled out of Fairwood's grip and ran downstairs. I want to go for a walk. She slammed into the unyielding front door. I'm not leaving. I'm coming back. I just, I need a breather. The door remained stubbornly shut. Carrie raked her hand through her hair with a growl of frustration. Come on, Fairwood, please give me a break. I'm not running away. I just, come on, please open the door. She rattled the handle. I just want to go for a walk. She made a show of putting the finger joint in her handbag, dumped under the coat stand and unhooked her light cardigan. The door slid open a reluctant inch. Carrie sighed. That's more like it. Don't let anyone in while I'm gone, OK? The door closed behind her and she faced her empty drive with a prickle of fear. He flicked the old police stinger out across the road at the right time, letting the speeding car roll right over the spikes. It was easier than going all the way into Piddingdine or taking someone off the street. The omens were all bad for those options, but the good old-fashioned way promised better results. The omens were so good, in fact, it was like someone wanted him to do it. Ricky was content with that. Weird Bithful Arad, no one could escape their weird. The tyres blew out with a satisfying sound, the driver lost control, and the car skidded into a tree further down the road. Reeling his contraption back in, Ricky sniffed the air and gave the driver enough time to come back around and escape the car. Above him, a pair of magpies chattered, another good sign. The driver's door opened and a curly-haired Adonis crawled out, the kind of man Ricky's cousin Jem Foreman had aspired to be until the changes put pay to those ambitions with a bad case of gelatinous ooze. Bloody hell, it was a bigger bloke than he was expecting. He sniffed, spat on the ground and headed over, all concern. Bloody hell, mate, you all right? The man was groggy, shocked, staring around in confusion. What the hell happened? You wrecked your tyres, mate, Ricky said, with an air of wisdom. The big man swore. He was clutching his hand. Must have hurt his wrist on impact, Ricky guessed. Blood was in the air, a rich, familiar smell. Need to call a garage? Ricky came around the steaming engine. Want to borrow my phone? Yeah. The man limped away, following Ricky further into the trees off the road. He kept looking back at the wrecked car, too shocked to realise his unlikely good Samaritan was not the kind of person he should be following into the woods. Fuck. Ricky watched him, an amusing idea bubbling up. Normally he was all business. I'm a serious man, me. But something about the neighbour's humour was infectious. He pushed his hood down. 
Fuck indeed, he said solemnly, hefting a stone from the ground and testing its weight in his hand. Fucking bitch, the man muttered, holding his injured hand into his shirt. Fucking hell. He turned on Ricky with an ungracious snarl. Give us your phone then. Ricky smiled, sweet and dirty. He let his tendrils loose, whipping around his head in their dark, angry coils. His pulse quickened with rare enjoyment, watching the man's jaw slacken first in disbelief, then in horror, his eyes growing wide and glassy. You don't talk like that to the one and only, he growled gruff and low. You get on your knees. The man dropped like a puppet, pallid and sweating. Ooh, look at that. Ricky said, still testing the weight of the stone. Himself and the outside would like someone like you. Family are so bloody irreverent, that's half the problem with kids today. He came closer, the tendrils thirsting for a taste of his spinal fluids. The thick muscular rings of the largest and longest opened and closed, revealing tiny mouths slavering their anaesthetic silver. Got something for you, he whispered as the man twitched in terror. Not a phone, though. Want to see? Then, giggling with the irony of it, Ricky swung the stone and bashed him into unconsciousness. The man dropped to the ground. Ricky chortled, wiping his eyes. Oh, I cracked myself up. Sorry, mate, were you expecting something a bit special? Ha! <laughs> he let his tendrils suck the stone clean of blood, hair and any other DNA, gave it a wipe and dropped it back in place. Right, son, let's get you home to mother. He would usually call Uncle David to get rid of the car, tow it and strip it and flog the parts to several dodgy garage owners he'd met in his own teen joyriding days, but time was of the essence. He chanted a few choice incantations instead, smearing a triangulation of silver mucus across three trees. Reality began to twist and rip in that spot, perception distorted and rippling. The others, translucent priests of his grandsire, voracious lovers of the metals found in this plane of existence, were on their way. Their time here was limited, but it should be enough to polish off a saloon. The man was heavy, but Bramble Cottage wasn't far. He'd stow him in the cellar for later, get his mother off his back about having no real meat in the house, and show Gerald he hadn't forgotten him. He had entrails to read, first and foremost, and now he'd gotten into the house and been messing with the pendle stone, he was sure he'd be able to read them just fine. Whistling a jaunty bird call, Ricky rolled up his sleeves to his elbows, bearing his arcane symbol tattoos, and started dragging. Carrie didn't go for her walk immediately. She was too nervous about meeting Phil somewhere in the woods or along the lane. A thought, ugly but sincere, played on loop in her head. I hope the Bermuda Triangle of Sussex is a real thing. I hope he drives into oblivion and never comes back. She did a few laps of the back lawn, forcing herself to sit on the wishing well and practice some grounding techniques. What can you feel? What can you see? What can you smell? What things can you taste? But with limited efficacy. She played on her phone, exposed on edge. Eventually, she decided on a course of action. Ducking under the wire fence at the back of her property, heart hammering at the thought of Phil lurking somewhere in the woods, she tried to shake off the fear, but it jangled in the background like tinnitus. Carrie wrapped her cardigan around her and followed the winding track through the undergrowth of the chase until the cottage came into view, the upper windows shuttered this time, and no line of pebbles, white or otherwise, to step over on the approach. She could hear the muffled sound of violent swearing. Concerned, Carrie picked her way through the debris in the garden, approaching the cracked lower window where his mother's sewing chair was placed. The stained net curtain made it nearly impossible to see in, except through the rips and tears. She was about to gently rap on the glass, 
when she caught a glimpse of a cleaver slicing through the air and slamming into the tabletop. Carrie dropped to her knees under the window and peered through the larger strip in the curtain as Ricky Porter, topless and bloodstained, cursed and swore at the remains of a badly butchered badger. No! No! Damn it to bloody hell! Fuck! You lost it, a gruff male voice said from the dark corner near the window where Carrie was kneeling. She couldn't see who it was. Useless, addle-headed fool you are. What are you going to do about him in the cellar? Your mother wants her pie. Ricky's angular face was distorted in a sharp-toothed snarl, purple bags puffing under his eyes. He put on a posh voice, dripping with strained patience. I'm bloody trying, Peter dearest. It's the liver. It's don't you argue with me. The voice in the shadows rumbled low and dangerous. You cut out talking like that, putting on airs. You look again. That liver's fresh. Ricky poked about inside the animal with increasing frustration. None here. Nothing. It's telling me nothing. With a howl of visceral rage, he started to change. Something was sprouting out of the back of his head. Tentacles writhed like snakes, coiling around him like a dark halo. Carrie clapped her hand to her mouth to stop the scream bubbling up inside her, unable to tear herself away from the chink in the curtain. Ricky smashed the badger with his fists in a blind rage, pounding into the carcass and sending chunks and clots of blood splattering across the room. You got too cocky, didn't you? The older voice of Ricky's father was accusing, sneering. Think you're special, our one and only indeed. Your mother and me had swapped that any day for the, of the week for a nice lot of children. Looked up and down on we are, letting you run wild about the place. Ricky stopped pummeling the dead badger, panting with rage. His chest was smeared with dirt and blood. Shut up, old man, he snarled, pointing a quivering finger into the corner Carrie couldn't see. You shut your abuseful mouth. Get thee upstairs, you mortal old fool, or I'll read your bleeding liver. He wrenched the cleaver free of the table and hurled it. Carrie flinched and Mr Porter bellowed in pain. George? A sibilant woman's voice whiffled down from upstairs. George, what's he doing to you? I'm going out, Ricky yelled, fists clenched. Stay out of it, Mum. Carrie pulled away and pressed herself against the crumbling wall of the cottage. She heard the door slam over the muffled curses of Ricky's father. Before she could scramble up, Ricky stalked by her, hurling the shell of a washing machine out of his way. Carrie couldn't stop the muffled squeak that came out as he passed. There, in the back of Ricky Porter's shaved skull was a large, gaping mouth. Thick white lips, like tapeworms, opened and closed, silvery mucus strands laced between them. They chomped on the air as Ricky ranted at the woods, a string of colloquialisms and swear words assaulting the silent trees. At the sound she made, Ricky spun around, nostrils flaring, face dark with anger. When he saw Carrie, he stopped. His eyes widened in horror, mirroring hers. He reached automatically for his hood, only to realise he wasn't wearing it, or anything. Carrie raised her hands. It's okay, she whispered. Ricky, it's, it's me, it's okay. Ricky's brown eyes burned a dark ruby red. His hands cupped the back of his head, protecting it from her rather than the other way around. Seriously, Carrie whispered, getting shakily to her feet. It's fine, I'm just going to go, okay, I'm just going. You can't be here. Ricky growled at her, lowering his, lowering his bloody hands. What are you doing here? I'm busy. I, you invited me, remember? Carrie pointed out. You said I could come for tea. Ricky jerked his head at her, then lunged forwards to pull her away from the cottage when she didn't take the hint. He glowered, smearing her cardigan with badger blood. Now's not a good time. He tugged her over to the wall and let her go. 
Ow! Carrie rubbed her arm, getting blood on her own fingers. Ah, oh, great, thanks. You're remarkably bloody calm, Ricky commented, crossing sinewy arms. His tattoos spiralled up to his shoulders, two sleeves of symbols exuding a sinister, otherworldly menace. I'm not, I'm just really good at hiding it, Carrie said. Well, maybe it's the stuff the doctor gave me. I feel, I don't know, different. He eyed her sullenly, shoulders dropping. I'm going to wash this lot off, he mumbled. Just wait there. He ducked under the washing line before she could pull the finger out in its paper towel, heading around the corner, and proceeded to wash the butchery from his body with the, rain, with the water from a rainwater butt. Carrie waited. Ricky came back with a ragged towel in one hand and his grey hoodie tugged from the line in the other. He looked much better, except for the bags under his feverish eyes and haggard complexion under his stubble. He balled the towel up and threw it on a broken refrigerator lying in the grass, pulling the hoodie on over his bare chest and tweaking the hood up. "'What do you want?' he demanded. He dropped his weight onto the garden wall, adding moist dirt to the badger blood on his trousers. "'It's private property, this.' Carrie clambered over the wall to the other side. Ricky turned to watch her. "'This isn't.' She echoed his own words, putting her hands behind her back. He tried not to grin, but couldn't quite fight it. "'I just popped over to say that there's a ghost in my house now,' I let it out of a music box by accident, and I'm pretty sure it's Cathy Ross. Ricky grunted, leaning forwards despite himself. Bet she's happy. Carrie paused. And, um, Phil did show up. I told him to piss off, and that did not go so well. She dug in her bag and fidgeted with the bloody paper towel. That's also sort of why I came. I didn't know what to do with it, so, um, I brought you something. She drew it out, hand trembling as she showed him. Ricky grinned, eyes alight with sudden interest. What's that tasty little scrap of a thing, then? Please say it's his cock. Calm down. Carrie had to laugh, just the top of his finger. Ricky wrinkled his nose. Shame. Do you want it? Carrie held it out. I don't mind what for, I just... I know it's silly, but I don't want it in the house, and I'm scared that he'll call the police or something. She looked away. Anyway, I wasn't sure what to do with it, and then I... I thought of you. Ricky considered it for a moment, then burst into a childish giggle with all the bashful delight of a child surprised with a treat. He snatched it from her and unwrapped the knuckle, studied it for a moment, and popped it into his mouth. The bone and fingernail splintered and cracked between his teeth. Mmm, ta! He slurped it down and burped on purpose. It ain't even my birthday. He cleared his throat, taking a few beats, and changed the subject. So, got a ghost now. What's the plan with that? Don't know, Carrie said, fascination wrestling her horror. She pressed her hand to her stomach to quell the nausea. I guess I should try and communicate with it. She cocked an eyebrow, recalling something she'd overheard. So, who's in the cellar? Ricky turned himself all the way around to face her, feet dangling over the woodland side of the wall. You done a seance yet? Tina's good at those. And none of your bleeding business as it happens. Mum's dinner, that's all. I promised her some real meat for a... Well, it's the old girl's birthday and she didn't want to fuss, so... He shrugged. Real meat like beef, right? He laughed. Come and see if you want. Carrie stayed where she was. You're not trying to get me down your cellar under false pretenses, are you, Mr Porter? False pretenses? I'm hurt. He patted the wall beside him. Why would I do that? I don't know. Carrie approached gingerly and sat beside him, staring at the trees. I think you should keep your lower ground floor to yourself. 
There was a long pause. Ricky's tendrils snaked out of the back of his head, looking at the air. Was that... was that an innuendo? he asked eventually. It wasn't great. Hells, Bells, you're not scared of me at all, are you, neighbour? That's funny. He scratched his forehead. Look, I got a badger to bury. You want to come say a few words? That's pretty dead too. Over the badger? Carrie wondered if this was a test. Sure. Ricky nodded and waved her back into the garden. The old man will have cleared off by now. Come on in. The cottage was worse than last time. Globs of blood flecked the floor and the walls. Parts of the dead creature had been smashed to raw mince and its head dangled sadly off the edge of the table. The cottage stank of blood and badger feces and whatever had been in the badger's stomach. Can't you do this outside? Carrie asked, holding her nose. Nah, some do-gooder always calls the police. Ricky dug a sack out from under a pile of mouldering old newspapers and plastic bags. Hang on, let's get her in here. From under her feet, she thought she heard something muffled, growling and shuffling, an angry animal, or maybe a human being, trying to be heard as they struggled with their bonds and gag. She shot a glance at Ricky, who didn't seem perturbed. Should I ask? She bent her head and tried to see between the boards where the cracks were bigger, but there was nothing down there but the dark. There was a bump and a low moan, which sounded more human than animal. Carrie straightened up, hairs prickling. What was that? Ricky, shit. Go see if you want, Ricky said, busy scooping badger guts into the sack with his bare hands. Go on, steps are down there. He nodded at the trap door in the floor some way away around the side of the stairs. None to be afraid of, promise. He wouldn't say that if it was a person, would he? Ricky's face was a picture of honesty, but fear snaked up her back. I'll wait outside, Carrie said, stomach roiling. She rubbed her middle more firmly and fought the tightening at the top of her throat, stepping out to take a deep breath of fresher air. He joined her shortly afterwards and took her around the side of the cottage, through a squeaking back gate and into the chase. It was a bright sunny day for once, and if they hadn't been carrying a leaking sack full of bits of badger, it would have been a pleasant walk. The crows followed their progress, flapping from tree to tree, branch to branch, calling softly to one another above their heads. Ricky found a spot and unshouldered his shovel. He'll do. Carrie dumped the sack on the ground as he dug a shallow hole between the roots of an old, gnarled tree. She squinted up at it. What kind of tree is this? Ricky wiped his brow with the back of his hand. She's a beech. Don't you know how to tell? Londoner. Carrie dropped the bag into the hole as carefully as she could. So, um, rest in peace, Badger. Thank you for... She looked at Ricky for inspiration. Your sacrifice? Ricky snorted. I was only kidding about saying something. It's a bloody badger. He started backfilling without ceremony. When he finished, he stood back, looking at her. Go on, love, say it. Let's get it all out there. You know that's horrible and disgusting. Carrie wiped her hands on her jeans. I'm not judging. Well, no, I guess I am a bit, but that is revolting. She shuddered. Ricky slammed the tip of the shovel into the ground, leaning on the handle. Come on, love, that's a bit weak. Let's hear all of it. That's... That's about all. Carrie wrinkled her nose, brow furrowed. No, it's not. Come on, let's have it. He tugged his hood down and slapped the back of his skull. Come on, you've seen this. What am I? His eyes throbbed a darker ruby red. Say it, what does this look like to you? Carrie rubbed her arm. She should have been afraid, but she wasn't. He wanted her to call him a monster. He was daring her to say it, his whole stance one of aggressive challenge. If this was the council estate where she'd grown up, someone would have taken their top off by now and there'd be real trouble. She shook her head, refusing. 
I have no idea, she admitted. I've never met anyone like you before. That wasn't strictly true. She'd met a lot of lads like Ricky Porter, but none with quite the same, for want of a better word, physique. She threw out a distraction, raising a hand cautiously towards him. It doesn't hurt, does it? Ricky stabbed the shovel into the ground with an angry grimace. Does it hurt? No, it bloody doesn't. Why are you asking me that? Does it hurt? Are you serious? He jerked away from her hand, even though the gap between them was considerable. She lowered it. He shuddered, dropping his voice and rubbing the top of his head. Do you... do you want to touch it? No, of course not. He faced her, blowing out a shaky breath, eyes clouded with something that looked a lot like hope. Do you? Carrie blinked. She didn't, but there was something in the way he'd asked. It was important to him. She moistened her lips. Yeah, OK. You do? This threw him. Bloody hell, all right. Ricky beckoned her forwards, not quite looking at her. Carrie steeled herself, reaching out to his face. He flinched away. I'm not going to hurt you. Carrie kept her hand where it was, letting him haltingly lean towards it until her fingers were brushing his temple. His short cropped hair was soft, like a baby hedgehog's spines. It was his turn to close his eyes. Carrie's sympathy overspilled into a grudging smile. Is that nice? Ricky moved his head against her hand, furrowed forehead smoothing as he relaxed. I don't... I don't mislike it. We're not, as you'd say, an affectionate family. When was the last time you had a hug? Ricky curled his lip. Steady on. Carrie stroked the side of his head, moving her hand further around the back each time until she could feel the rounded, smooth upper lip of the second mouth, puckered skin like a fat scar. You won't bite me, will you? she asked. He gave a boyish giggle, pulling away. Carrie hesitated, surprised, but continued when he pressed his head back against her hand. You said you, he explained, letting her explore the wide ridges in the back of his skull. Not it. Most everyone says it, like it ain't part of me. Oh my God, Ricky, Carrie murmured, heart clenching. Oh, wait, something's got my wrist. You've got hold of my wrist? She had held a king snake once at the reptile house in London Zoo, letting the length of rippling muscle wrap around her arm and push its way up to the top of her sleeve. This felt almost the same, except the snake had been smooth and dry, while this was slick and slimy. Sorry, it's a defence mechanism. It's when I get emotional. Ricky cleared his throat, closing his eyes and focusing. She watched his face grow still. The tentacle, or tongue, or whatever it was, released her and withdrew. His skin tingled. Carrie gave the lips another gentle stroke before withdrawing her hand. Sticky, snail-thick mucus coated her arm, the tingling spreading up to her elbow. My arm feels weird. Anaesthetic. Ricky pulled up his hood. It's all right, just wash it off. Won't last long. Ha! Carrie let the mucus catch the sunlight, watching it shimmer. Numbness rippled over her forearm until the patch was dead to the touch, spongy but firm as she poked it. That's pretty cool. Ricky fetched the shovel, trudging back through the trees. Carrie jogged after him. Don't go getting ideas, he warned her. Don't you be telling anyone about this, either. You know I'm not meant to get invested. Carrie smirked. Thought you said we're just neighbours. Yeah, well. They walked on in silence. Within sight of the cottage, he stopped abruptly and jerked his thumb in the direction of the crows. You can bugger off now. Yeah, I will. Carrie waved. Be seeing you, neighbour.